Hey, welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we rescue shitty films from a leftist perspective. My name's Nick. And my name's Lewis. And as I said, we're here to uh, review, analyze, and emphasize the good aspects of movies um, the public has mistakenly considered bad. <laughs> um so as as this is the inaugural episode, we'll be taking a little bit of time to discuss what the purpose of this project is. Um, so Lewis, take it away. Tell us what the point of the pro- proletarian contrarian, otherwise known as Procon, is. Yeah, so um, I think you could easily do a podcast about, uh, you know, shitty films that are so bad they're good and talk about them, uh, you know, in this kind of uh, ironic uh, love for them. But uh, we want to talk about shitty films that might not actually be cult classics. Uh, You know, probably not The Room. I don't think we'll ever do Tommy Wiseau's Room on this show. Oh, God, no. (laughs) Never. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I I think something like Ballistics X vs. Sever... Uh, Hell yes. A film that uh, <laughs> I yes. don't think either of us have ever seen. Uh, and I don't think most people have, to be honest. So I don't even know why it's terrible. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Can't wait. Well, we, we are using um, kind of this really complex algorithm that we've developed. Um, the algorithm. Incorporating <laughs> the algorithm, uh, incorporating Rotten Tomato scores, um, personal preferences, uh, the star charts of everybody involved in, this, in these various movies. But beyond that, we're just basically going off of movies that the internet doesn't really like um, for whatever reason, and we're going to see what, what good, good stuff we can pull from them. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to talk about the reasons uh, why a film is maligned. Uh, so we'll get into that probably each podcast, um, you know, depending on if... Uh, there's there's something obvious or, or or there's some kind of consensus around right. why the film is terrible. Right. Um, again, ballistics experts have <laughs> no idea. That should, I can't even tell you why people don't like it. That should be our hundred. If if we ever get to I don't know a certain milestone like a hundred or, or fifty <laughs> or whatever, that that should be the one we're working towards because it. Yeah. It'll... year anniversary right yeah, yeah something yeah. like that definitely another important aspect to the show is to remember that we are coming at this review and analysis from a leftist perspective uh the two of us do identify with the political left uh it is a very big part of both of our lives and um like all politics it does impact how we view film and how we review film it's how we uh literally view everything yes uh, Yes. Much to our uh, friends and family chagrin. Yes. Um, much to our own chagrin, actually. <laughs> much to our own chagrin. Yeah, that's that's actually very true. Um, but yeah, so I uh, I'm one of those people who went to film school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, used to watch a lot more films than I, I do now. Uh, but uh, it's just uh, it can be overwhelming to just think about the number of films that are released per year that I'm supposed to care about. Yeah, I mean, we, we had met in college. Um, most of, I, I was not a film um, student, but most of my friends at college were, were studying film. And um, I kind of got dragged into that world a little bit, living on the periphery. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate film as much as any, any person interested in the arts uh, nominally 
would appreciate film, but um, I, I I would by no means call myself an expert on the medium. Unlike unlike Lewis, of course, <laughs> who uh, who's... who would also not consider himself <laughs> an expert. But the important thing is, I consider you an expert, and that's the uh, sparkling bang up dynamic that we got going on the show. Thank you, I appreciate yeah, that. Of course, of course. That's a lot to live up to. Yeah. Um. So should we just dive right into this this episode's film? All right, yeah. So we will be reviewing the film, the 2018 film Venom. Woohoo! Uh, yeah. Great love for our boy. Our boy Venom. Our goopy boy Venom. Our go- <laughs> goopy boy Venom. Our boy Tom Hardy, a little less goopy. <laughs> he's pretty. He's pretty goopy in this one. He, yeah, he is actually. He gets. He gets pretty goopy. Not just the symbiote, but. Uh, for other reasons, we'll we'll, we'll discuss <laughs> yeah. later in the in the show. He becomes just as goopy. Um, so yeah, the the film Venom. Uh, Nick and I had really no interest in seeing it. Very little uh, interest. Very little interest. You know, we're we're nerd adjacent, I guess. <laughs> growing up, that's with... the, that's the most generous way to put it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to don't want to alienate everybody. But, yeah, uh, we uh, we grew up reading Marvel comics, DC comics, you know, watching mm-hmm. the Spider-Man animated TV show stuff like that. Um, but we've kind of uh, fallen out of out of love and uh, you know the Marvel uh, universe, both cinematically and through the comic books, has fallen out of favor with us. Um, but uh, yeah, so. I on a whim just saw it. I think I had like a free movie ticket. You you definitely see a lot more a lot more movies than I do, and um, and yeah, I, I kind of use that as a barometer as what types of things I should actually bother to go out and see. But um, but still, I, w- I was a little surprised that you actually did did choose to go out and see it based on everything I had heard about the film. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was on a whim. Uh, some friends of ours wanted to go see it and like i said i'm pretty sure i had a free ticket Mm -hmm. i would not have paid to see this just based on my my prior thoughts before stepping into the theater but um yeah at the end i i enjoyed the hell out of it actually (laughs) so and i thought that was just the few beers talking but then the more i thought about the film i just i couldn't stop thinking about it so i mean i was stone cold sober the entire runtime and i i enjoyed it i had i had fun, I had oh, fun yeah, with that's the right thing. you went you went during a matinee before they started yeah serving. yeah and I, <laughs> I i kept thinking that i'd walk out when it started to, like not not walk out to leave but walk out to grab a beer if it started to get shitty but uh no i i was i was glued to my seat as they say yeah you were you were gooed to your seat. <laughs> I was stuck I was stuck with goop to my seat yeah you got another you got a different symbiote oh uh, yeah I have um uh petulance I guess could be my symbiote name is that an actual symbiote I, I don't know I just made it up also um I'm, it would be interesting if any of you fans out there wanted to go through our runtime and pick out all the different ways that we pronounce the word symbiote or symbiote or, or that word it'd be uh that would be cool if uh, any of our thousands of fans choose to go do that thousands i was thinking hundreds of thousands but uh, but you yeah. know we'll get there we'll get there we'll um get there. 
Okay. So yeah, the one one thing we did want to touch on is the perception of the film, um, how it's how it's seen by um, culture at large, or how how we how we think it's seen by culture at large. Um, basically, we're we're doing we're we're gonna do that with every film we pick because we want to show why we chose this movie for ProCon, why we um, why we consider or why we identified this movie as um, one that is considered bad. So for Venom specifically, um, it's getting pretty shitty, pretty shitty scores by professional critics. And um, on the one hand, we're not, we're not anti-critic, obviously. We, it, it's good to be critical of art. It's good to, um, it's good to reassess everything, even things that you love. But um, on the other hand, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes art critics and, and film critics specifically do live up to that stereotype they they huff their own farts all the time um <laughs> and and we 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 do think this is the case um we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna only pick films in the future that we like that everyone else hates yeah that's that's but, important that's true yeah yeah there 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 are going to be some films that we walk away from thinking that they are at the end of the day bad films but um but that is not the case for Venom. We we both enjoyed it, and we think the critics are off the mark for the most part. Yeah, definitely. I just want to circle back on what you said about um, that we're that we're not anti-critic. I mean, right. um, like I said previously, you know, I have a I have a film school background, and uh, there's there's some critics out there who I, I enjoy reading their stuff. Um, Armand White. Uh, Armand, Armand White of the National Review, uh, number one boy. Hell yes. Definitely. Hell yes. No, no, to be honest, we do actually enjoy some of his writing, but um, <laughs> yeah. that's not the type of contrarian that we're going to try uh, to aspire to. Correct. Uh, for, this, for this podcast. Uh, I don't know if we'll, uh, yeah, I don't know if we'll love, I think he's a big fan of Adam Sandler films. I don't think we're going to do... Ooh, I don't yeah. know. That might, might take be, us some time. That might, that might be a bridge too far. Yeah, that's we're going to have... There's a few films uh, that we've we've discussed uh, prior to recording that we consider challenge mode films. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and Adam Sandler films might be those, uh, especially like the really hated ones, like that one... With, Who's my? Uh, that's my boy. Al Pacino. Yeah, that's the one. Yes. No, yeah. Al, the, Al no. Paci- the Al Pacino one is um, the one where he plays his twin sister. Oh right, right. Who's my boy? Oh, I know. Face off. My face off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, like what? What? What is your perception of um, of how the internet or how cr- the critic, the critical consensus of Venom is like? Obviously, it's getting shitty scores, but why? Why do you think that's the case? Yeah, it's it's really it's interesting. Uh, I had read a bunch of reviews both before and after I saw the film, mm-hmm. um, and most of them agreed that the tone the tone yeah, is the biggest yeah. problem. They you see that discuss- everywhere. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. They're discussing these tonal shifts, and people uh, were discussing how it's you know this mishmash of genre. Mm-hmm. Um, as if like no film ever has been a mishmash of genre especially superhero films yeah right i mean especially superhero films if you look at almost any of the marvel superheroes films um they're a mishmash of action adventure um you know not so much horror uh, you know honestly mm-hmm. and i the horror elements of this film i think are really 
to be downplayed anyway. They're not um, right. as, it's, as overt. It's that soft PG-13 rating. Yeah, exactly. Which I happen to think did this film um, a service. I think it was a benefit, but we'll get into that a little, a little later. Yeah, well, it's relevant now, too, because that's another aspect uh, of the the mainstream criticism of this film is that yes, yes. if it was R, it might have been better if Venom could have, you know, let loose and eaten and, some more heads. And or... ripped off faces and drank their blood on screen. Right, yeah. Like, I don't really understand what people would want to see um, out of that. I can't even... That would have been... Just... Yeah, I don't know. I can't that... even recall in like older comics him doing some of the more graphically violent stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, that's um, that's I, I guess that's a good that's a good segue into um, the things that we like about the film section because um, wh- one of the things that kind of threw me off about talk about the discussions surrounding this film before it even came out was um, a lot of <laughs> a lot of basically trendy nerds online. Um, their their official stance seemed to be that Venom is an inherently crappy bad character that has little value. Um, that was that it that was created by um, McFarlane in the '90s, just to riff on like on Spawn on on all the dark and edgy, extreme extreme '90s uh, aesthetic, and um, that that's definitely where he came from. But the the standard nerd line was that he's inherently worthless um, because of that and I, I, I really disagree with that I, I don't think um, any anyone's superhero or supervillain character um, can't can't be good or can't be great if it's if it's executed properly um, and with skill basically there was a large contingent online that just wrote off the film based on the source material and that seemed really cynical and limiting to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I read Maximum Carnage years ago, mm-hmm. um, and the prior arc that establishes Venom uh, and then Carnage. In right. between, they pepper in a bunch of the other symbiotes um, who we see vague glimpses of in the film. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's you know, I, I would say. It's interesting even to come from the narrative of the like edgy 90s uh comic books cuz like if you read them they're just like they're super campy I'm they're, sure I'm they're, sure <laughs> they're just like absurd and it really I, I mean any comic book is any superhero comic book is is just goofy right I right. mean you have these like absurdly dressed individuals running around beating people up and I mean Venom yeah he's just like this big hulking like spawn ripoff by the guy who created spawn mm-hmm. who i the brains thing like eating brains started way later i don't remember in the original comics him talking about eating brains but um yeah it's it's just a it's a goofy concept to begin with so i don't i don't yeah. know how like uh you know grim dark it was even by 90 standards Mm-hmm. There's um there's a quote by Frank Miller. Um he he wrote it in in like the forward to um to Batman Year One or something. He said like the more realistic you make a superhero, the more inherently absurd it becomes. So you have to find that that tight that tightrope act um, balance of realistic enough that it's just not complete 
batshit insanity, but goofy enough that you can just roll with it and accept certain things as the genre conventions that they are. And I think, I think that's one of the things this movie did well. It was it was plausible enough, and there was enough um, inner inner consistency and verisimilitude to it that like it it worked as a flowing narrative, but it was goofy enough and it didn't take itself so seriously that that you kind of just laughed at it like like you know yeah definitely i think if it was an r-rated film it would have taken itself more seriously and perhaps they would have cut more jokes out i mean i think that was probably a big part of the the rewrites of this film was writing more jokes in um and making it i mean you know a little little lighter in tone because um, I think it would be fairly insufferable if it was just a very dark and straightforward oh my God, yeah. telling of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, it was great to see Tom Hardy be able to, you know, use his comedic chops, which he's yeah. great at. Yes. I mean, he, he's so good. He's, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's an interesting part, too. I read some critics who just love Tom Hardy. And they're like, okay, he was kind of given, you know, a raw deal here. And then other critics who were just like, oh, he saves it. He mm-hmm. saves it in pieces. Not He doesn't save the whole, but he, right. he saves parts of this film. And I just, like, I don't get it. I think he's it's a consistent performance throughout. See, see that's them trying to do our job because they're looking at a movie that they think is bad and trying to take a good part from it. But um, we're doing it the right way because we know the film is is good as a whole too (laughs) yeah that that's an interesting perspective that someone out there is doing our job before we thought of it but they're doing it poorly and that's not even the reason we decided to do this podcast (laughs) no we decided to do this podcast for uh fame and fortune yeah no for sure (laughs) i don't care about anything else but that speaking that speaking of trail money Speaking of fame and fortune, uh, the villain of this movie is very obviously based off of one Mr. Elon Musk. Um, I don't know if you, if, you, if you have ever heard of him over there in the audience. Yeah, audience. Yeah, he's, uh, he's this really great guy. He's, <laughs> he's... beloved in every uh, you know, corner of the globe. He's doing a lot for people. Noted hentai aficionado Elon Musk. Was it that he was or that Grimes was? I didn't really follow that. Grimes posted like some some tweet bullshit like oh hentai is wonderful or whatever and uh, i i think he liked all the tweets but either way uh i'm gonna assume that and i'll just add noted alleged hentai aficionado elon musk just to cover our ass yeah definitely cover that i feel like he would be he's he's litigious definitely (laughs) yeah that's the that's one of the things because um everyone was saying as, as i went into the movie i I knew based on the buzz that, oh, Riz, Riz Ahmed plays Elon Musk, and I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever, whatever, it's topical. And then the first shot of the movie is a is is a meteor or, or a rocket ship crashing in Southeast Asia. So this movie starts. It's it's very topical because Elon Musk has to save his symbiotes from from the pedo people in Southeast Asia. Yeah, from the from the pedo UK scuba diver. <laughs> the pedo guys who, yeah. all, who all live in in uh, Thailand. I'm not sure what do you remember which country It's Malaysia. Which it's is Malaysia. Which, which borders that's Thailand. right. That's right. Yeah. So um, this is also a geography lesson for everyone out there. Yeah. Uh, both for you and me, apparently. Yes. Yes, um, you're welcome. 
<laughs> no, thank you. I appreciate it. I did not know one where uh, it took place and two that Malaysia border Thailand. So yeah, I, um, yeah. I know UK diver could totally uh, be in either of those uh, places. And also, we should say that uh, he's probably not a, a pedo, the the diver yes. who saved those children from a cave in Thailand. Um, he's a real Elon life Musk superhero. Thinks he is. Yeah, real life superhero. Did good stuff. Elon Musk. Uh, tried to do something that yeah. no one had a real grasp of, nor did he, to be honest. Um, uh, so, so we'll we'll leave the Elon Musk angle alone for a little bit because uh, that ties back into my leftist um, my leftist reading of the film, um, which which we'll touch upon in, in a few minutes here. But um, another character that was really good was um, Michelle Monaghan's um, Anne, who is who is Eddie's uh, girlfriend in the film, and. Um, yeah, she, her her screen time was a little more limited than I than I would have thought, but she was one of the better female characters in any superhero movie that I can think of. Yeah, definitely, especially for a love interest. Yes. Um. Yeah, Pepper Potts, Gwyneth Paltrow is not as interesting as uh, Michelle Monaghan's. Uh, I think Anne Wailing is the last name. Anne, yeah. W- w- uh, Look at this research production, folks. We got going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, with your with your Patreon dollars, our research <laughs> will only go will only improve from here. <laughs> Definitely. But yeah. So, I mean, I yeah. To compare comparatively to other female um, leading role, semi leading roles, um, supporting love interests, supporting yeah. love interests um, like Pepper Potts or even. Um, Jane Foster of the, oh, the four films yeah. played by <laughs> Natalie Portman. Uh, I mean, those are, I just, those are thankless roles. Yeah, those are, I, those are mind numbing. Yeah, I just, and it, I mean, I understand why Natalie Portman wasn't in Thor 3. She could yeah. easily have been written into it, but I mean, it just made sense that they wrote her out of the MCU mm-hmm. uh, entirely because I, they didn't, they gave her nowhere to go. That that truly was a thankless role, like you said. Um, yeah, just the one of one of those superhero film genre conventions that um, that I'm kind of surprised still has stuck around this long is the is the thankless personality less um, love interest. But but yeah, um, Michelle Michelle Monaghan did quite a good job with this one, um, as as far as far as I can see. And you know what? It's I just realized it's not Michelle Moynihan. It's Michelle Williams. So ah uh, uh, yes, of course. <laughs> I'm not sure. You said it, and then I said it, and then it felt wrong. Uh, but right. no, Michelle Williams, who is a beloved uh, indie actress for sure. Yes. Yeah, and in addition to um, Anne, another supporting character that I that I quite liked was Dan, her her new love interest, um, who is just kind of a decent normal nice every guy who tried to help eddie when he saw eddie as this uh, psychotic individual by all appearances um he he kind of stepped up to the plate and he didn't have any bitterness or possessiveness over Anne. so uh good on good on likable uh small bit characters yeah definitely i mean and if uh, you know, we we previously mentioned we touched upon the idea that this film was kind of a genre mismatch. There's definitely uh, aspects of the romantic comedy right here within this this right. you know 
this somewhat love triangle. Love, um, love quadrangle involving love the symbiote. Quadrangle. That's true. Yeah, we can definitely touch upon that. That's <laughs> yeah. real. That's super important, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the Eddie Brock uh, symbiote uh, love uh, love relationship is, mm-hmm. is 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 something, and it's definitely there. Um, but uh, you know, with with Dan, uh, who is uh, I have no idea who that actor is, but uh, Anne's uh, boyfriend after Eddie, uh, who's a doctor. I mean, you know, most romantic comedies they have this other uh you know secondary lover character who mm-hmm. is obviously you know not the right person for right, right. the the female love interest uh and throughout the film generally the main character the male protagonist uh helps the woman figure out that guy ain't for you it's me but right. it, that doesn't happen at all here dan is just like a good dude uh, you know, and, on, and honestly, and honestly, Anne was good too. She her reasons for breaking up with Eddie were were completely justified, and um, and when she saw he was in pain, she tried to help him like a decent, empathetic person would do. Yeah, definitely. And I think maybe we should talk a little bit about the plot of the film here. <laughs> nah, uh, fuck flesh it. out like fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, the fuck plot. It. Who cares? Honestly, yeah. we just expect you all to see the stupid movie. Uh, yes. You have to suffer through like we did, except this time we didn't suffer, but we'll suffer in the future. We promise. Correct. Um, um, so yeah, the, the, the plot, I guess. Um, um, yeah. Take it away. Lewis with the plot. Yeah, so uh, Venom follows the exploits of Eddie Brock, played by Tom Hardy, who is an investigative uh, news journalist. He, uh, at the beginning of the film, moves from New York to, or I should say before the film even starts, he moves from New York to San Francisco, Mm -hmm. uh, and he starts reporting, uh, it seems mainly on homelessness in San Francisco, and uh, sometimes the the tech sector, yeah, cor- um, corporate malfeasance in general. Yeah, exactly. So um, Silicon Valley exists in this universe as well. Oh boy, does um, it ever! <laughs> it is uh, a main. It's a main function of the plot, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of uh, Silicon Valley and uh, how it interacts with the the populace of San Francisco. Uh, right. We can touch upon that later, but. So Eddie Brock, uh, investigative reporter, modern day... The Alex Jones uh, of the left. <laughs> I was going to say modern day muckraker, but I mean, I guess that's sort of the same thing. Yeah, basically. Um, so he he uh, is... Uh, he's told by his editor that he has to, he has to interview uh, Riz Ahmed's character. Elon Musk. Last, Elon Musk, a.k.a something drake Drake. his last name is drake carlton drake carlton drake that's the best i could come up with um folks but it's actually it works it's it's just as absurd as elon musk right let's be honest yeah so uh he's told to interview carlton drake that doesn't work out very well uh he gets himself and his girlfriend who is a lawyer played by Michelle Williams, not Michelle Moynihan. Yes, correct, yes. Uh, fired by using some of her case file information about Carlton Drake, um, which is easily tied back to her and her computer. Uh, from there, computers. he... Goddamn computers. We had some technical difficulties of our own before recording this, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, we are by no means Luddites, but, uh, yeah. We're close. Sometimes technology, yeah. 
definitely. So, uh, eventually, the symbiote is introduced through Carlton Drake's experimentations. Um, I don't. What was the motivation? Do you remember why he wanted to? He he's presented as as some kind of transhumanist. He um he's very focused on advancing humanity beyond its limitations by of of reaching for the stars and of, of curing cancer and all this shit and it's it's giving a distinctly selfish and predatory twist um but yeah it, it, it's basically the elon musk comparison is going to get old but you can't avoid it it's like it's he he's out to do what he deems necessary for the advancement of humanity um and that's why right. he that's why he has the space probes that's why he has all this the the, the biomed connection and tie-in and um yeah, I, bas- I guess he has a messiah complex. Yeah, definitely. I think there is even... He wants to, like, colonize space and to use the symbiotes as kind of, like... Right. Uh, ways for human beings to be able to, like, uh, live in outer space without mm-hmm. any kind of tech or something. Yeah, yeah. The, his, his final goal is to go to space, uh, or, or his final act is to try to go to space. He, he wants to bring humanity... Um, with him to space yeah i guess kind of like a living um oxygen suit basically that's what he wants them to be yeah exactly like a like a living exoskeletal he has a he has a pretty hilarious um biblical uh line to the to the homeless man that he he forces in to be a to be a an experiment for one of the symbiotes yeah he's he's like oh the 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 beautiful thing about Isaac's sacrifice is that it, it wasn't it wasn't his it was Abraham's like I am I am Abraham sacrificing you to like to please to please my God the symbiote and it, it, it's a, it's a pretty ridiculous line but it's the exact type of line that some kind of venture capitalist asshole would use um, when speaking to a homeless person that they abducted up the street um, <laughs> so that was one of the better that was one of the better uh, bits of the film in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. It has a it has a real like techno feudalist vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that little mini speech there. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I cut you off the plot. I, th- I think we said yeah. So that the symbiotes are introduced, and and one of them lat- yeah. latches onto Eddie. Right, one latches onto Eddie. Um, the symbiotes get to Earth by a a spaceship that that is that belongs to Carlton Drake's company. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the company? I don't remember. It's thematically relevant, the Life Foundation. The Life Foundation. <laughs> it's a yes. bit on the nose, but comic books are on the nose, so you kind of have to go with it. Yeah, it's true. And let's I mean, let's look at like half the names of these these tech startups in Silicon Valley. Exactly. I yes. Mean, <laughs> yes. You know, it's it's like it's like Peter Thiel naming his you know uh his surveillance company palantir oh so, god oh my god yes yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not a, peter Thiel is probably tuning into this right now because his algorithm picked up on the mention of his name yes and another one who is litigious oh, for god, sure yeah. but allegedly he's a literal vampire who sucks the blood of orphans um right, al- right. That's allegedly what it, yeah allegedly allegedly um yeah so the uh, symbiotes, uh, plural, there are numerous of the symbiote goo aliens that uh, are harvested from a meteor mm-hmm. by this by this space probe, which crash lands in uh, 
in Malaysia. And then, uh, yeah, so Eddie is, uh, is... So he, yeah, he, he gets infected, or he, he gets bonded with a symbiote, and um, for some reason the symbiote can't, doesn't kill him um, like it killed the other test subjects that were forced into it. Um, and he's on the run because he, he has no idea what the hell's going on. He, he sees his, um, he sees his, his body changing. He can, he can heal from injuries. He, he feels kind of sick, but he's also ravenously hungry. He sees his, uh, ex and her, her current boyfriend in a, in a, in a restaurant and he jumps into the lobster tank and, and he drinks two beers at once. Um, he, he runs Hell around, yeah. he has, he has no idea what's going on. And then when, when Drake's men come to get him, um, the symbiote bursts forth and, and protects Eddie in, in a pretty decent chase scene, in my opinion. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Uh, it's really, there aren't too many action set pieces in the film. Yeah, There's yeah. Uh, maybe two, I guess, because that one's an extended action set piece. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the only, um, minions or henchmen that venom fights are uh life foundation private security private like mercenaries basically so venom is confirmed to be antifa and therefore one of the best superheroes ever created hell yeah that's for sure yeah he basically he fights blackwater he fights yeah uh, yeah he he fights he fights eric prince yeah he bites eric Eric prince's head off oh my god that would uh Inshallah. Only way, uh, only way to make this movie better would be to have a scene feature in that. That could be in the sequel still. Yes. Who knows? Yes, it could. They, I doubt it's been written. If uh, if our podcast is popular enough, the, the can, screenwriters we can influence the course of, of the sequel. Yes, we and history in the, yeah and the course of human history as yeah, well. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, so yeah, um, there's the fight scene that starts in. Eddie Brock's apartment, mm-hmm. um, and then from there it breaks into an alleyway. Then the streets of San Francisco, where he finally is taken over by the symbiote uh, known as Venom. Um, Venom. But yeah, I thought it was someone else who did the voice, but no, it was it's just him. it's just Tom Hardy <laughs> yeah, talking yeah. to himself basically. So like, yeah, that's like the best relationship in the film is just. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Hardy talking to himself so we need more of that in cinema folks yeah yeah that would um the Venom the Venom persona was pretty like like I like we said at the beginning of the episode um or or like like I alluded to I I never quite got why there was such particular particular Venom for the character why there was such particular Venom for Venom but why that why there was so much hate for this character um concept had so much um had so much personality and kind of like little quirks that um i really wasn't expecting like he is um he's a fail son he's he, on his home totally. planet he's he's a lo- total fail son. he's a loser um and he he just came to earth i mean i mean this is getting kind of more towards the end of the film but he he just wants to stay on earth because he likes it <laughs> it's it's a better yeah it's a better deal. by his own admission he uh venom at one point says uh he is a loser his his own words <laughs> verbatim yeah. he says he is a loser on yeah. his own planet and would rather stay on earth i mean i th- it's just one of the most incredible motivations in uh like maybe all of cinema i don't that, know that might be hyperbolic but it's that is you, you know 
that is honestly one of the most relatable character beats from um, any movie I've seen recently. That 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 yeah, that's us. Definitely. That's us. <laughs> Especially a movie about all this crazy bullshit we just listed. Yep. And for the motivation of the main character or a part of the main character, however we want to position Venom, to be, I'm a fucking loser. It's, it's great. This is this is better than some weird meteor planet. That's just that's incredible. In, uh, kudos to whoever wrote that line. Yeah, whoever own. whoever came up with that con- that idea that that was a pretty brilliant move. Um, and to be fair, I I haven't actually read many Venom comics, so I I don't know, um, how good how good the character is or how good the his storylines are. Um, I I do think that 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 fail sun angle was created for this movie. Uh, but either way, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter because um, we're talking about the the, the cinematic venom. Um, it it was a great, great little beat, and um, yeah, the the jokes the jokes from Venom were funny. Um, the the little character humor between between Venom and Eddie um, really helped the really helped the the movie uh, kind of hum along at this nice brisk pace. This movie's under two hours, which shocked me when I found when I found that out. Yeah, I was excited to see that. That was probably the only reason I initially <laughs> agreed to see it with friends because it was a Marvel movie, or I guess this is a Sony movie uh, that was under that was under two hours. That was under even like two and a half. So I was I was pretty excited no, by that fact. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, that's another thing that I really appreciated about this about this film. Um, it had a nice brisk pace. It 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 kind of it it did it did touch upon these apocalyptic themes like the end of the world and aliens taking over earth but it didn't really feel all that huge and epic like um a lot of the other actually pretty, pretty much literally every other superhero movie being made today did does um the stakes can be smaller the stakes can be more intimate it can be the the superhero and supervillain fights can be oriented around individuals or groups of individuals instead of literal world domination destruction um and it was it was really nice to feel that um to feel that in this story yeah i appreciated that a lot i think really the last uh superhero film that did anything similar to this i'm not sure if you saw spider-man homecoming but spider-man homecoming had a a fairly intimate um feel to it right just you know peter parker versus uh vulture i mean that was really it so yeah, um, I found Eddie Brock this this depiction of Eddie Brock to be a hell of a lot more sympathetic, a hell of a lot more likable, a hell of a lot more um, admirable, honestly, than any any version of Peter Parker that I can think of that was that was put on the screen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he he even before he learns some lessons or you know, uh, has to change because of the events of the film. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, I mean, he's an investigative reporter who gives a shit about the homelessness crisis in his city. Right. uh, Who cares about, uh, like you said prior, uh, corporate malfeasance. Like, he just seems like a good dude who has a somewhat prickly personality, but even then, he's not... Uh, like a quippy, you know, kind of insufferable jerk. Yeah, He's still a yeah. pretty good guy. 
yeah and and he does fuck up when um when he steals his girlfriend's case files um but i mean arguably she's she's a corporate lawyer like she she's not blameless either and um and he does apologize he does come around by the end and um his 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 mistake in stealing her files um he pays for it because she she leaves him and and she was right to and um that is part of his his character arc which is another um absolutely batshit criticism of this movie that i see everywhere that that there's there's little character growth um which which i i don't understand at all another aspect um that i really like that i think is is kind of a, a smaller aspect to this movie um that people might not notice is um or people will notice it but i i think it will go it will go it will pass by um unremarked upon is the visual effects the vfx um i thought it was really really well integrated i thought it was really well done um venom himself looked looks better than he does in the comics in my opinion he he looked alive and kind of kind of pulsating and living and almost cancerous in a way and um the symbiotes themselves before they attach to a host um the way they moved was really cool it was like this really sudden jerky um explosion of pseudopods like like this cell this giant clump of cells moving around really quickly like they do under a microscope and it reminded me a little bit of like carpenter um carpenter effects like from the thing or something just obviously updated to modern times but um but yeah the the visual effects, um, obviously Venom, but also other smaller things like like the symbiotes, and uh, the way the the attack drones kind of blew up and it was in blue fire. Just a lot of neat little touches like that that were uh, really integrated pretty well. Yeah, definitely. I I remember reading an early interview that discussed you know how Venom looked and just the the fight scenes being poorly edited and poorly shot and you couldn't understand what was happening but right. i don't know frankly the especially the first uh part of the what could i guess you can consider a three-part fight scene action set piece mm-hmm. um when the when the uh, the contract killers come to eddie's apartment like yeah that was well choreographed yeah um, it was and it it really showed just like what Venom could do, um, you know. I think they are kind of setting up Venom to have uh, like Spider-Man-esque powers or the use of his uh, his symbiote body, um, very right. spindly, very much uh, like spider thread. Yeah, tentacly. Tentacly. Um, <laughs> hentai. We're bringing this back. To oh the, yeah, real, hey. real hentai hours the, over here. The secret uh, theme of this episode. This is for you, Elon. <laughs> But all for you. But yeah, it's. Uh, I think they are setting him up to, like, at least. I I will see. I bet in the in the next like maybe not the next film, but a film down the road, he will have his 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 spider in insignia on his chest and his back. I, I yeah, I, he could. He, I see it happening. He could grow it easily or something. Um, yeah, yeah. They. I mean, they've established that he. He, his body can really do whatever i mean within reason when he fights the there is another symbiote in the film folks uh Ooh. the the uh antagonist uh riot, riot uh i mean he even mentions that like he says to eddie this guy can do shit i can't even yeah. <laughs> this uh, guy can do shit you haven't even seen yeah so uh it does establish like some limitations of of the venom symbiote like 
again to to uh to highlight the venom as fail son you know he's he's not he's not by any means the most badass symbiote uh riot is well established mm-hmm. uh in the final fight scene he's the alpha um, he, he's he is, he's, yeah. he's the chad symbiote and venom is the virgin symbiote. Yeah. venom is definitely the virgin, virgin yeah venom, eddie eddie was his sure. first by far for sure yeah definitely um but yeah so the the final uh fight scene is between uh venom uh eddie brock and uh riot who who bonds with carlton drake Mm -hmm. actually Mm -hmm. uh riot is seen throughout the film taking different hosts he takes the body of a uh, of a uh malaysian security yeah he jumps he jumps around from a bunch of um a bunch of civilians and random people so he can make his way to um the other the other symbiotes yeah and then um he bonds with carlton drake because they're both sociopaths i guess i don't know um and i think because uh specifically because of uh, drake's resources his um his access and control of the rockets that's right because riot does want to take over the world right ostensibly yeah he wants to eat the eat everyone on on the world yeah 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 so um yeah the final fight scene is venom versus riot um venom gets trounced um riot can make his arms into blades and at one point he makes it into like a mace uh you know a ball and chain Mm -hmm. um yeah some really interesting technically uh, a flail yeah oh excuse me uh i'm just flailing over oh yeah there you go Uh, but yeah he so uh i thought those visual effects are really cool and and interesting especially you know we've seen with a lot of the marvel films um it's 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 kind of their their penchant to use a uh, a doppelganger antagonist if we if we look at um, black panther um you i know, know. Uh, killmonger yeah uh, killmonger becomes uh you know he has a, a black panther suit of his own mm-hmm. iron man um fights um Kept, captain is america name, is 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 the iron man one villain named Ironmonger? it is Ironmonger. <laughs> oh my god that's amazing <laughs> it's Ironmonger. <laughs> but every yeah the uh jeff bridges character I, I have yeah. to. I, I'm. I'm going to break protocol and actually research this um, in the middle of the episode because that I, I want to confirm because that's too. That's too funny. Hold on, folks. Yep, we it is. Are, it is yep. Yes, Iron Monger, Kill Monger, and they're just gonna. I'm sure All there's the gonna be another one. All the mongers. They're gonna. We're. They can't run out. There's fish monger, cheese monger. Fish monger um, would be a Namor villain. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we will one day get marvel to make a namor film oh my god that is the undercurrent of this podcast folks the undercurrent (laughs) oh damn (laughs) anyway but anyway back to uh back to the the uh the film fight at the end the fight at the end uh yeah i mean it just is it just establishes um some really interesting things that the symbiotes can do Mm -hmm. that i'm sure we'll see 
much more of in a subsequent film. Hopefully a subsequent film gets made. Let's be honest, Hopefully. it didn't make a lot of money at the box office and no, it did it, poorly. It's, it's doing very well. Okay, I'm going I'm, I'm well? to break okay. our goddamn rule again because I have to look this up. But um, All right, folks. We we did like it's weeks the, it's the, of, of build-up here. Uh, we did so much outlining, <laughs> but there's just things that we can't cover. It made, as, as of now, going off Wikipedia, it made um, $779 million um, against a budget of 116 million, so it, it did really well. Okay, it did really well. Yeah. That's actually that's all it it that's all yeah. that they spent on it. Yeah, that's crazy. Damn, um, that is crazy. And that's great because it shows that you can make effective superhero films on a more realistic budget than than Marvel and DC tend to do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I bet they could have even cut the budget a little bit more mm-hmm. if they didn't have 40 extra minutes of bullshit footage that people start clamoring for <laughs> right. yeah leave, once they hear about it leave that leave that on the cutting room floor i'm sure it's fine um but you had mentioned uh venom's powers and, and the symbiote superpowers in general uh which i really liked um in a way it reminded me of superman powers and the, the problem or the difficulty of writing for superman um because his power set is so wide-ranging and kind of so generalized that he can do anything that the plot demands, and so can Venom. Venom, Venom obviously isn't operating on the same level as Superman is, but he, his powers are flexible, adaptable, adapt, flexible. His powers are flexible and um, general use enough, and he he can kind of just do what needs to be done to overcome any obstacle in a scene. And normally, um, I do think that 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 presents a problem. Or, or oftentimes that presents a problem for the for the writer, because um, how how do you write a meaningful challenge for for anyone? Well, easy. You give them weaknesses like they did with Kryptonite with Superman, and Venom has two: uh, fire, fire, and loud decibels of sound, and um, and it's that kind of really really open-ended potential countered by one or two very concrete specific uh, drawbacks that really gives you a lot of freedom with writing a movie and gives you a lot of freedom for interpretation um, of the of the piece. And um, I, I was just really, I, I thought they handled that potential issue very well um, in the way that some of the better Superman stories can do. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, you know, they gave themselves um, a lot of slack there to, uh, yeah, eventually introduce some powers of venoms that um might be more outlandish but uh for for this film they didn't they didn't do so and they didn't create any shortcuts within the plot right um right which was was yeah it was nice to see i was kind of expecting um you know a more just kind of out there um interpretation of venom where he was a this big badass um very much like the antagonist symbiote riot yeah, um, Riot. Riot is uh, Venom as as he's perceived by by uh, myopic nerds online. Yeah, that is a reading, folks, that we just came up with, and it's a really fucking good one. Yes, um, actually, it, it, that is very true. That reading um, was the result of the symbiosis between Lewis and myself. Um, so, hell yeah, uh, socialism in action, folks. And yeah, that's a perfect segue into our political reading of the film. Like Nick and I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, we are both uh, of the political left. Um, mm-hmm. 
socialist, communist, or uh, even anarchist sometimes. Um, yeah, I, 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 t- I tend to just describe myself as non-sectarian. Just, I, I don't necessarily wear that as a point of pride, but I, I'm, I'm non-denominational left, for lack of a better term. <laughs> all right, all right. I like it. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I, I would probably agree with that for my own purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, we come at this film through that lens and I think the the symbiote as socialism is uh, a take that Nick uh, brought to my attention at, that I just didn't really see but I uh, agree with so uh, you want to talk about that a little bit yeah yeah um, so it's 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 pretty well established that superheroes um, especially the older ones um, in, in in terms of their their kind of overall theme and, and their powers and their aesthetic and everything um, come from the politics or the, the mood or the, the feeling the zeitgeist if you will of the age um, like Superman when he when he was created he, he was very much um, representative of, of, immig- of immigrants of, um, of Jewish identity of, um, of, of the working man um, all that kind of thing um, Venom, uh, or the symbiotes in general, I think definitely work very, very well as as a metaphor for for mutual aid, for socialism, for for um, for leftist unity in the face of capital. I mean, that's pretty blatant. Uh, Drake himself is is obviously a, a ruthless capitalist, and um, in that informs and in, and in, in guides his villainy. If that's the case. Then obviously Venom and Eddie are the dirtbag left because because <laughs> they need each other to to get what they what they need what they want. Um, Eddie needs Venom's help to expose and take down this this capitalist um, megalomaniac that he's that he's against for for personal and idealistic reasons, and uh, the symbiote Venom needs Eddie to uh, survive on Earth, his newfound home that he's come to love so much. Um, after climbing to the top of a skyscraper, and um, it's 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 very much textual. It's very much there in in the view of the film that this is a cooperative uh, symbiosis. Um, but if you come at it from a left perspective, which, as we've been saying over and over, the obviously the the villain, what, arguably the main villain of this movie, um, even beyond Riot, is is Capital. <laughs> Um, and the, the, the unlikely but organic and eventually very healthy and positive um, solidarity between symbiote and human is what is what uh, defeats the villain in the end. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, yeah, I think it's interesting to see um, the Eddie Brock Venom perspective as this representation of socialism and the, the Carlton Drake riot. Mm-hmm. Um, relationship kind of as like neoliberalism basically definitely definitely uh you know i mean it's it's privatization right i mean like the the only reason that riot wants to bond with carlton drake is because carlton drake has money and that's like the only reason that the the state uh wants to you know partnership with tech companies and and you know, just private interest is because they have money. 
um, mm -hmm. whereas with with uh, with Eddie and Venom, uh, Eddie has a, a problem, and Venom has a problem uh, that uh, you know society has foisted onto both of them, and they they realize that together uh, they're they're more well equipped to take care of those problems. Um, yeah. And yeah. you know they might not be the most uh, structural uh, uh, on face value, <laughs> but uh, I, I think like that's that there's there's potential there. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not saying that. I don't, I don't think either of us are saying that the film is a leftist film. Um, honestly, most of the movies that we're going to review in the show aren't, <laughs> quite frankly. But um, but we are saying that it's possible to view the films and the characters of the films through a leftist lens and um in superheroes especially or, or whatever you make of them um and how you present them and how you interpret what has been presented and and yeah i'm i'm just calling it venom venom and the symbiotes are are a uh, are a symbol of solidarity and um and, and leftist solidarity specifically yeah, that's true. Eddie could be seen as more of like a like a progressive, you know, like more of a like oh, Venom, center leaning. Venom, Venom, Venom radicalizes. Um, yeah. Venom radicalizes a liberal. <laughs> For sure, yeah. No, Venom is is like uh, anarcho communist. And he even breaks down the um, he even breaks down the the false laws of of uh, the false natural laws of monogamy. Um, when he becomes the third in Eddie and Anne's relationship. Arguably. Yeah, that's right. Arguably. Um, arguably. No, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, there's that interesting scene also where um, Venom actually has two hosts throughout this film. Mm -hmm. uh, there's this very brief scene where Venom is, uh, Eddie is uh, being held captive by the Life Foundation uh, and Venom convinces uh, Anne uh, that he needs to uh, bond with her mm -hmm. to save Eddie. And uh, I was excited for that. I read the plots to all these these dumb movies beforehand. I don't care about spoilers. <laughs> so I was. Oh yeah. By the way, uh, this should be this should have been at the beginning of this episode. But uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. If you can piece together the plot of this film from the way we've delivered yes. it. I believe there are spoilers in here somewhere. Um, but yeah, so so Venom convinces Anne that he should bond with her to to uh, to break Eddie out of this uh, the Life Foundation, and uh, yeah, it's it's a short scene. Honestly, um, you do get to see uh, Anne in, in in with the Venom symbiote uh, over her. Um, she's actually a character in the comic is called She Venom, yeah. like legit. That's her actual. <laughs> she character name and her name is Anne Whaling. like this is I don't know if she's a lawyer in the comics but she is an actual comic book character um and she just looks like a woman with the Venom symbiote on top of her yeah. um and they do so uh Eddie and she Venom kiss at one point and uh Anne doesn't seem to remember what happened so it's very much Venom kissing Eddie not not so much Anne kissing Ben well, Eddie. Well, regardless of what so, happened, all three of them were kissing at the same time. That is very true. So, I think it the film does set up that they're like they'll they'll 
touch upon that more in the future yeah. hopefully not to say that we want to get rid of dan the the doctor you know uh secondary love interest he can he can he, be radicalized with his own symbiote and then all six of them because Anne's going to get her own symbiote as well can have a little polycule and um they can they can fight evil and go after bezos next hell yeah no legit i mean uh the next film is going to have uh, the character Carnage, uh, which is oh my God. Uh, set up oh my God, in the mid credit yes. scene, which is uh, yeah, I think Nick is uh, Nick is uh, chuckling over that because uh, Woody Harrelson uh, will be playing will be playing Carnage, in a literal uh, clown wig. In a literal yeah, I mean they they went to their local spirit Halloween <laughs> yes. and they got this this wig. It's it was. I, it's like the one part of the movie I don't like, honestly. And thankfully, yes. you can watch the film and uh, not watch that part because it is a mid-credit. Yeah, just walk out. Don't even watch it on YouTube. Yeah. It's not worth it. Uh, you won't miss anything. Uh, with, there, you don't, there's there's going to be carnage. Yes, that's uh, yeah. Woody Harrelson says there's going to be carnage, which no human uh, no human being has ever said in in a context in any context remotely related to that. It, it was one of the most painful name drops possible. Yeah, and it's it's a name drop that I think uh, I think a good portion of the people who are seeing that movie like oh, yeah. do not understand what's going on. A good portion of the people in, in City that went to see this movie didn't really know anything about Venom besides like he's a cool looking Spider Man villain. If like if that yeah. I would I would argue there yes. were people in my theater who just were like okay <laughs> this this movie exists this, we're watching this today this sentient tumor exists and is controlling Tom Hardy. There's a, a part of our podcast we we're gonna have every every episode where we kind of highlight mm-hmm. um, some of the the workers, um, um, you know, be they actors, musicians, writers, uh, animators, uh, editors, really just uh, the gamut. Cast um, and crew, cast and crew, yeah, pre, post, uh, and and production. It's um, making a film is is labor. Uh, every part of it, it, it is, is, is a, labor. It is a hell of a lot of labor. Yeah, and it's um, we tend to think of films by maybe they're uh, they're just their actors, their directors. Um, if you know you are a little bit more in the weeds, you think of uh, music and writing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're so deep in the weeds that you think about uh like sound editing um then i yeah that's that's cool but not many people do uh yeah yeah and um it it's those little it's it's all those disparate um contributions that that make um films what they are um and even even ignoring big budget hollywood films like even even smaller smaller more independently made productions um there are a lot of different aspects that go into these things, as I learned working with you and some of our friends at college. Um, and it's we, we do think it's important to recognize those contributions that we, we feel were done particular, particularly well in these films that we choose to analyze. For sure, yeah. So I think, um, you know, to, to highlight someone who is uh, just, you know, more obvious uh tom hardy i think did uh, an incredible job with just quite an interesting script um i i don't know uh what his reaction or really anybody's reaction when they read this script (laughs) but uh like i he made 
just he he, he probably comically fell out of his chair in an exaggerated Jerry Lewis impression. <laughs> I I hope if I ever get to talk to Tom Hardy, I'm going to ask him oh, yes. if uh, if his influence for uh, Eddie Brock in Venom was Jerry Lewis. Oh, yes. And this might be like ten years down the line, and he'll forget <laughs> that he even made Venom. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, you know, I think highlighting. Uh, actors like like Tom Hardy and even um, Michelle Williams, like we said, uh, what could have been a thankless role. And, wh- and whoever uh, the hell it was that played Dan. Whoever the hell played Dan. You know, uh, perhaps maybe more the thankless role is the Dan character, but uh, yeah. he made it his own and he made it interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, highlight that guy for sure. Highlight, highlight um, that guy named Reed Scott. Is that his I name? I just looked it up. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, our first episode in, we're not even done yet, and I'm breaking all of our self-imposed rules because rules are meant to be broken, and we are leftists, so we don't follow authority. Yeah, for sure. That's that's the anarchism in Nick talking, <laughs> definitely. All, yeah, so... Um, but, yeah, there's other, there's other um, individuals who attributed uh we can attribute the success of this film to that we can highlight um, one, one quick thing i want to jump in um regarding regarding the actors as workers um a common a common thing to say is that actors and celebrity or I'll, I'll just stick i'll just leave it with actors um a common thing to say about actors is um that the the huge amount of money that they make um kind of kind of makes them they're is enough to consider them not workers but um it's it's kind of similar to professional sports in my opinion they are working they are working with their bodies um they are doing labor and they're being compensated for it and um yeah wealth wealth inequality is a very real thing to be to be aware of um but that doesn't mean to throw the baby out with the bathwater that doesn't mean to ignore um labor when it happens um in the world and we, we can recognize uh, laborers and workers who who earn lots of money um, without necessarily endorsing the staggering wealth inequality there um, we, we can give props to to workers um, such as actors such as professional athletes when they do work so that, that that was just one thing I wanted to make sure that we touched upon yeah definitely um, do you want to talk about uh, the music the the composer yeah the the composer uh, Ludwig Göransson. That's a it's <laughs> it is some Nordic some Nordic name, so I'm probably butchering that pronunciation. Um, but yeah, Ludwig Göransson. He 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 composed the soundtrack for this for this movie. Um, it it what one not to be super anti Marvel um, on our first episode already. Um, super anti anti MCU, but um, one one of the one of the common criticisms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that I do agree with is that the move that is, is that it's uh, the soundtracks and the in the music is pretty damn forgettable. Um, but Gorenson he he put together this kind of like this techno techno inspired kind of like heavy guitar riff, uh, thundering pulsing beat um, that punctuated all of the action. And it was really effective. Um, it was one of those scores that you don't really notice as it's happening, but when you replay scenes in your head on the drive home, um, you kind of like, you kind of, you kind of humming along with with the beats of, of the track. And um, I, I just think it was very effective for for the type of movie that it was. Yeah, for sure. I think it it uh, it really accentuated some of uh, 
you know, especially like action scenes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of action scenes, I think the just anybody and everybody involved with the visual effects, yes. you know, yes. the whole animator crew, um, just yeah, kudos. I you know, it's again, that's a team of probably hundreds of people. Yeah, um, at who least. do everything from like shading uh, something in the background to making you know the symbiote. Uh, look alive Mm -hmm. uh i mean yeah without them i yeah i don't know how you would make this movie without um cgi visual effects um it'd be an interesting uh yeah it'd be interesting if anybody who'd want would want to do that uh if uh, any if any filmmakers are interested venom 2 practical effects yeah Yeah. i mean i could john carpenter if you're listening and would like to come out of retirement I hear you can make money by making films. Oh my god! He, so. he could even he could even do an homage to Goranson by doing like the soundtrack too. Yeah, that would be yeah exactly. He would just do what Ennio Morricone was asked to do and just do oh yeah the for, score for the thing. of the guy before yep. yeah for the thing. Yep, rich rich um, musical rich musical tapestry to pull from. Yeah, definitely. But um. But yeah, yeah. So the you're, visual you're effects. Right. The, sorry. Yeah, no, just the visual effects um, made a lot of this film and were much better than expected. And it's important to bear in mind when you see these um, Hollywood blockbuster movies that are that are very CGI heavy, um, whether the CGI is incorporated poorly or well, um, huge, te- huge amounts of um, work in, in many, many team members and many many crew members were um necessary to even to even make that possible and um yeah they're they're workers and they they work in this kind of bloodthirsty industry um but they make neat things possible so kudos to the vfx crew kudos to the animators kudos to the oh god all all the different departments that that break down into uh the making of of a symbiote yeah, it's it's generally not just like one animation team doing everything. Um, you usually see something like uh, different. There's different companies who do it, and it, some work will be done by one company, some work by another. Mm. Um, I'm not advocating that people stay for the whole credits of any film, <laughs> yes. but I don't do it myself. I get I get why people do. Um, I, you know, it's important to like we're doing recognizing. Uh, yeah, I mean you. You can't you can't plausibly read every name in the credits, but um, that that would ju- that just would not be feasible on any level. But um, yeah, they're they're workers, and um, you you have that in common with them. Yeah, definitely, and um, and don't stay for the credits because we'll we'll highlight people for you. Exactly. That's uh. See, we're <laughs> that's a good pitch. That's a good pitch right there. We are fulfilling Keep that a in. service you didn't even know you wanted. Yes, I fulfilled. think I think the last um, the last uh, subset of workers on Venom that we really wanted to highlight was um, are, are the writers um, Jeff Pinker, Scott Rosenberg, Kelly Marcel. Um, Pinker and Rosenberg are credited not only for the writing but also for the the story. Um, while Kelly Marcel only gets a writing credit, do you do you know what the difference between a writing credit versus a story credit would be? 
Uh, I'm not really sure. I think uh, Kelly Marcel was brought in for like rewrites. Uh, is my understanding? That, that would be my that would be my guess. My best guess. Um, story refers to like the original original pitch, while at, whereas writing is the actual the writing the te- the, the the text on the script. Yeah, I think that's I think that's my understanding as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I was try I was trying to figure out um, where the breakdown was for this film, and I was trying to I mean I did a little bit more research than we were supposed to, um, <laughs> but it, there really isn't much on the internet sure. about this uh, that I could even find. Sure, it um, it seems like uh, Kelly is Marcel has done. Um, uh, just it runs the gamut the films that she's written for mm-hmm. uh she wrote uh saving mr banks the the disney right the disney agitprop yeah the disney agitprop <laughs> okay i take it back she she goes in the gulag no i'm kidding she <laughs> no and then no she wrote well and then she also wrote the 50 shades of gray uh, films. I'm not sure if all of them, but she wrote the first one. I actually, at least. I have actually heard that the first one is a notable improvement upon the source material. Wow. Okay. In, well, in, let's in... watch the worst one and do an episode about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Oh my god, we should. Um, yeah. So, so all all of which is to say, um, based on our interpretation of the material that we were able to dig up, it seems like Kelly Marcel did. A bang-up job of um, punching up the script and um, and writing his labor too. So uh, kudos to her. Yes, and ostensibly the other two guys, but I I don't know. It seems like she did more of the actual labor. So kudos to everybody, but well, mostly it, her. Who knows? Who knows? But um, no, they... we're making it in canon now. We know. Okay, it's canon. Yeah, it's canon. Okay, sure. <laughs> what the hell? Whatever. It's all can. It's all alleged canon. <laughs> Yeah, um, so, allegedly, this is a podcast. So, um, closing thoughts, um, Lewis, would you give Venom a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Um, I'm not sure if we're legally allowed to do that. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? I don't. I was thinking about that, honestly, how we would rate these films. And this is something that we didn't talk about oh prior. Oh, my God, yes. Uh, so, I... I you know a lot of podcasts and uh, like YouTube videos I've watched they they come up with like funny rating things uh, oh, I, maybe see, we can do that in the future. See, but... I I thought you were saying that because you were afraid like the estate, like Ebert's estate would be extremely extremely litigious if we use the thumbs up thumbs down. That is what I meant at first. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I think like it, they could, but at the same time, uh, I we should come up with some kind of rating system. Yeah, and, and well, that is unique to us. Well, honestly, like using numbers or yes no for like telling you whether or not a piece of art is worth your time. That I I, I really hate that. That's that's really um, antiseptic. And um, I I if if someone asks me should I see this film, I'll say yes because I think you would like it for X Y and Z, or no, it's not worth your time because of A B C. Um, so we, I think we can be more loosey goosey in that regard. Yeah, that's right. No, it's true. I mean, the whole thumbs up, thumbs down that, uh, a certain two, uh, hacks movie critics, uh, I was going to be more generous, but you're right. Alleged hacks. hacks, uh, alleged, alleged hacks. Uh, you know, it's just, it, I think it, uh, it just, it was a watershed moment for, uh, 
uh, criticism mm -hmm. and it makes sense if you're doing criticism on television yes uh, where yes. you need a nice little sound bite but um, honestly like I if yeah if someone said should I see venom I'd be like I don't know do you have less than two hours of your life that you're gonna waste <laughs> away before we die of climate change like yes uh, if your answer is yes uh, <laughs> then you might like it for the reasons we listed if your answer is no then I, I am fine with that as well. I honestly don't care that's what a, you decide. That, that's a pretty good uh, qualification. I, I guess my my answer would be, if you are a card-carrying member of Antifa, yes, you should see Venom. Um, otherwise, no. Yeah, for sure. There's some, there's some praxis in <laughs> there's, here. There's praxis to be had with the symbiotes. Yeah, for sure. If by any means... Uh, someone out there can contact the symbiotes... Please do so. Get them on the horn. Uh, we need them for uh, for the cause, the cause of anti-fascism. Yes. And on that note, I think we're uh, I think we're all set for this episode. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we we plan to do this fairly frequent. Uh, we plan to do this fairly frequently. Um, pick a pick a movie every week, watch it, talk about it, like we always do, endlessly, and then record us talking about it some more and uh, give our thoughts and in, in our leftist perspective but yeah hopefully hopefully this thing can get off the ground and um we can achieve some kind of symbiosis with an audience with um with an audience that has money with an audience that has money but we'll we'll get there we'll we'll, we'll get we'll, no we'll it's we you know that's we don't care if you have money or not as leftists if you just want to listen yeah. to two people talk about movies that no one likes that's awesome no one likes that's but good but should like but should like perhaps yes. again who knows what x first severs oh we don't my know. God. I, I'm, I'm i'm morbidly curious for that one as am i i mean it has a great cast like yeah. i don't know it's it's an absurd premise too it's like it's, it's an absurd like title these, yeah it is right i don't know how you would think this is the best title for the film i want to make millions of people watch but <laughs> Um, so yeah. Anyway, folks, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we will um, probably have some kind of social media in the future. But oh, for now, we if don't. We have to. Uh, I don't know where we'll put this thing. I imagine you'll find it on any podcasting platform that allows you to put something on for free. Yeah, and w and once we once we um, kind of cult hopefully once we cultivate more of an audience, um, we'll we'll have an archive and and. And for all you future longtime diehard fans can can listen back into our awkward first episode and, and see where it all began. Yeah, definitely. This could be episode zero. This could be episode one. Who knows, folks? Who knows? All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you soon. Thanks. Bye.